Hello, Internet, and welcome to episode 78 of Ancient Ways for Modern Days. My name is Andrew Wynn. I'm one of the hosts, and joined with me today is Mr. Mike Freeman. Mike, I like your sweater. It's green. It's very wintry. How are you doing today? Are you feeling warm? <laughs> I feel wonderfully warm. This is a soft sweater. It's new. My wife got it for me, so there you go. Aw, it's cute. Yeah. Can I say that? I did. Yeah. So, anyway... Mike, we're on episode 78, and you know, normally we'd like to do some, some check-in and, and things like that, but you know, today I really wanted to give uh, some, some time, because you're doing something really cool. Uh, as a church, you know, we are- a sweater? Yeah, that too. Okay. That, 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 that sweater is so cool, it's keeping you warm. Yeah, but we are a church that is gospel-driven, and we exist to build strong families, you know, to serve our local community, and to change the world. And- in like next month or a, yeah, this within this quarter, you are doing something that um, is going really going to help build families. You're doing something called a couples check in, check up, yeah, check up, check up, yeah. And so actually, I, th- I thought, could we just take a few minutes to just kind of talk through that? As it's, that's big news for us as a church, honestly. Yeah. So one of our objectives was to start to reintroduce seminars into the life of Valley. We did that, started doing that pre-COVID. Yeah. Had a few really good uh, things that we did, but this is going to be a new one. This is, we're calling it the couples checkup and it's an opportunity for couples. We'd say married couples or couples that are leaning toward marriage. Okay. They can come and over a Friday evening and, and most of the whole day Saturday, it's going to be like a marriage seminar where there's going to be some, there, there's basically a survey that couples will take part in together that will provide some data about their strengths okay. and then some data about their growth area. And so we're going to teach them how to kind of use that data and, and we're going to teach a handful of tools to improve their relationship. And we're also going to do some teaching on what, what the Bible says about marriage and what a, a godly vision for marriage looks like and, and how a marriage can actually be used by God to move the gospel forward, to, okay. to be driven by the, the gospel. And so a lot of, not actually a lot of teaching, it's actually going to be more kind of conversation for couples. And so the big event will be held. There'll be some teaching, but that's really aimed at getting couples learning some tools together so that they can have stronger relationships. Okay. So I, I can see why you've, you've been hitting hard the language of this is like a conference, but it's more of a check-in or check-up. Check check check, yeah, yeah. Check-up. All right. But you're, ta- you're, you're giving room to maybe even like guided conversations Absolutely, for, yeah. for couples. Yeah. Giving them some parameters. So that sounds really interesting. What what would you say to the person who is like, man, this sounds really interesting to me, but I, I just I have a hard time with like hard conversations. Like, how do I like what what what, what should I expect if I if I am I am I just going to be being yelled at this whole time or what what's what's happening here? You, you know? Yeah. Like, so this really the way this works is couples will go as deep as they want. Okay. And so. This oftentimes what will happen is they'll learn these tools, they'll have the easier conversation with the tools they're learning, and then because they have these tools down the road when they're ready to have some of maybe if they've, they've got other things they want to talk about, or maybe they want to just even be away from the seminar setting and, and in their own home talking about it, then they'll have the tools they can hopefully use in the future for whatever conversations need to, ha- That's need to happen. Cool. Yeah. That, that goes back to the conversation we had last week a little bit when we talked about this is that, you know, even if things are going really well right now, it actually is a great time right now to even continue to invest in your future, to have these tools in your, in your, in your toolbox for when, when things come up. You know, I, I think about uh, raising kids. Sometimes I know like as um, I've just observed, cause I don't have kids, but working with kids, I've learned that like, as children get older, you need to have other tools in the toolbox because if you keep using the same tools as a child gets older, 
you get frustrated and you get angry and you start to wonder why isn't this working anymore when really that's because it's a different situation and you need a new tool for the new situation. People change, relationships change, and and good relationships require work. They require investment. They don't just come naturally and easily. If they did, then everyone would have a great relationship. But we live in a world where most, you know, I shouldn't say most. There are there are a lot of dysfunctions in relationships. It's really easy to slide into bad habits and bad patterns in a relationship. And so these tools in a conference like this, this is not the be all end all, but mm-hmm. that the tools combined with a refresher in what the Bible teaches, you know, you have the 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 right teaching along with great tools, it can set a couple up for moving forward in a really positive way. That's that's awesome. So I guess just my last question um, for people who don't know, this is this comes from a training that you've done that you are certified in yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's exciting. I know I know some people, are, they're always wondering about credentials and things like that. But this is actually like, this is you as our pastor, but also like th- there's some training that you had to be able to present this. So people can be pretty confident in like, yeah. this is a really helpful tool. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome, Mike. Um, so that's going to be... Here at our church, yeah. is there a charge at all? For- There's going to be a suggested donation, I think, is what we're going to do. I mean, the, the survey itself requires, a, there's a cost tied to that where we're going to do a, some snackage. We're going to do lunch on Saturday is our plan. And so, you know, there's going to be some costs. But honestly, if, if someone's listening to this and they're like, this sounds like what I need, but I don't have the finances for it. There, we will happily offer scholarships. That's so awesome. There's not going to be a fin- financial burden keeping anyone from doing it. Okay, all right. And and I know you, um, we'll we'll be providing childcare for for those who need it. So yep. we will figure this out. So all right, cool, man. Those are things happening around the church. Actually, I was going to tell you, I um, I had a I had a VBS meeting. You did? I did, yeah. I've heard about this a dozen times. Right, yeah, but (laughs) I'm just excited because uh, last year, man, by the grace of God, we we had some interesting things happen, and we had to push back VBS, but we learned a lot. And this year, we're like, hey, man, what if we started even earlier? And no joke, we had our first VBS meeting on January 30th. How good? How cool is that? Yeah, and our our VBS is coming up in June. And stuff. And so for anyone listening, I would just encourage you, if you love missions, if you love just working with others to to serve others, you can come and be a part of this. You don't, honestly, if you're like, I, I like VBS, I know what it's about, but I don't, I don't do well with kids. Uh, there's plenty of other things to do besides just working directly with children. Uh, we actually have a couple work days. We have, we have all these plans. We have monthly meetings coming up just to train, but we have uh, monthly work parties where we're going to be making our decorations ahead of time instead of waiting the, the week of <laughs> or the week before and stuff. That's pretty cool. And then, uh, I don't know. It's uh, I was excited to share that with you because it's January. We're, we're on the ball. As soon as the curriculum was printed and ready to go, I had it ordered. Like, uh, I, I don't know if we could be any earlier than this. I, I'm so proud of you, man. And I poked my head into that meeting and the, there was an excitement with those folks that people are, they're eager to serve. They're eager okay. to reach families and to reach children and to serve well. And so just, uh, it's a joy to watch. It is. It, it is. So, and I guess the last thing I want to mention is that we have Easter's coming up really quick. And I know we um, were talking about some evangelism stuff. And I just want to give people a heads up that uh, this month as kids ministry, we are going to start collecting candy because we're going to fill Easter egg uh, ba- Easter eggs to give out in baskets. So uh, last year we didn't do an Easter egg hunt, but we actually gave people within our church bags to give to other families um, uh, the ability to ha- host their own Easter eggs 
uh, user account at their homes and be invited to come check us out for, for services. We're doing the same thing again this year, but we're going to get these these in your hands like as, as soon as possible. I think I said like mid-March mm-hmm. is when I would like to have it in the hands of our congregation, but really pushing it hard like April. Yeah. So big things are coming. Uh, I, I'm excited. So I'll, I'll tell you, I took those bags to my baseball team I coached last year of six-year-olds mm-hmm. and gave it to each of the kids. It was so cool just to invite them. And some of them have showed up and shown up and, and are, in, are coming around. So it's uh, for our listeners that are part of Valley, I just encourage you just to be praying right now about the people you might end up giving those bags to and inviting them to Easter. Yeah. It's a great connection point. It, it, is, it is a great season of ministry, man. I, I don't know. It just 2022 hit and uh, kind of feels like that momentum we we started at the very beginning of 2020 is is here finally, you know, that energy. So, so here we go. <laughs> <clears throat> So, well, should, we, should we jump into our topic for the day? Yep, that's what I was going to say. Uh, Mike, we started talking about the Trinity last week. We introduced the concept. We covered it with all perfection, and it was completely clear. And, yep, in 30 and, minutes yeah. is what we did. So, yeah. but So this week, we're actually continuing our conversation on the Trinity, and which is going along with our overall uh, series on, on systematic theology. So, uh, Mike, would you kind of want to walk us through maybe a recap of last week and then jump into, I guess, that new part of of this week? Yeah. So last week we just did an introduction. We actually looked at um, a confessional writing about the Trinity and we talked about a handful of the dynamics. But the main takeaway that I would say that we wanted our listeners to have is when we talk about the Trinity, we're talking about the idea that there is one God who exists in three persons. This one God is one in essence and three in persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's what we we talked about. We described it from a few different angles last week. And so this week, we're going to pick up on that. Uh, I'd like to talk about a handful of scriptures that just point out how God the Father is God, how God the Son is God, and how God the Spirit is God. And then... We'll get to the fun part, which is the heretical views of right. the Trinity and some of the the ways that maybe we we stumble in our explanations or our understandings of what the Bible describes uh, describes as okay. true. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, this week we're going to be looking at scriptures that that really demonstrate the idea that, that these are three people in one, they're in the same essence. That though last week we talked about the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, though it doesn't say that the intention of these divine beings. It's, it's there. It's, it's there. This, this triune God, it's there. That's what we're looking at today. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. So I'd say last week, if, if we emphasized anything, it was probably that Shema is from Deuteronomy six and the idea that the Lord, the Lord, our God is one. And so that there is one God. The Bible is very clear. There's one God. There are not many gods. There are not three gods that we don't believe in pantheism or polytheism. There is one God and he is distinct and other from creation. But this one God, he exists in three persons. And, uh, and so I just wanted to maybe talk about how God the Father is described as God. And we can handle many texts, but if you want to read uh, John six twenty seven to, to start, just to kind of get a feel for how the Bible describes God the Father as God. Okay. Uh, yeah. This is John six twenty seven. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Yeah. So Jesus is speaking here. This is that whole passage of Jesus talking about eat my flesh and many people leave him and are unwilling to follow the difficult teachings. But, but in that, the, within the context, Jesus talks about this, uh, this imperishable food that endures 
for eternal life it will be given by the Son of Man. This is Jesus. And it says, For on him, on the Son of Man, God the Father has set his seal. Okay. And so this is the, the God the Father. He has set his seal upon God the Son. But, but the emphasis here, at least for our conversation, is, well, there is God the Father. Mm-hmm. He exists, and, and this is the first person of the triune God, God the Father. And this is Jesus himself distinctly saying that there is God the Father. That's right. And, yep. Okay. Okay. Um, and so if, okay, we, we have God the Father, and I think that's the, maybe the smallest pill to swallow, right? Okay, yeah. God the Father, the, the one God, oftentimes identified as God in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. God the Father. When we think of God on the throne, typically in, in our minds, it's most likely it's him who we're thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where we start to get into difficulty or where people might disagree with us is when we talk about the divinity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the second member of the triune God. He is fully God and yet fully man. And so we have we have a handful of passages about Jesus that I'd like to maybe, I don't know, maybe even walk through all of them. Okay. Just to get a, a picture of who Christ is and his divinity, this is where we we are most likely going to err. This mm-hmm. is where many cults start from is when they don't have a proper understanding of Jesus as God. And so let's, let's read, let's start with John 5, 58. You want to read that? Uh, yeah, John 5, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Yeah. So what, what, what is Jesus talking about here? Before Abraham was, I am. Well, there's a handful of things going on here. Jesus is talking about how he existed before Abraham existed. And he's using this language, I am, that would be very familiar to the Jewish listeners. When we talked about the names of God, when yep. God reveals himself as I am that I am. The great constant. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. So this is the, the eternal one. Jesus is, he's making a claim for divinity right mm-hmm. here. And the response of the Jewish people is to try to kill him. Like, yeah. Yeah. They, they understand what he's saying. He's making it really clear that he is preexistent and that he is divine. And so Jesus's own words right here, he's talking about. I am divine, right? You know, it's interesting to me that there are people who argue that Jesus never outright says that I am divine in the Bible, but yet it's, it's right there. John 8, 58, it's it's right there. Yeah. Um, And he's, you know, if you were to bounce down to John 20, 28, he, he accepts worship as, as God. So Thomas, when Thomas encounters Jesus after the resurrection, Thomas answers him. He says, my Lord and my God, right? Mm -hmm. This reference to Jesus as God. Now there potentially could be him saying my Lord speaking to Jesus and then separating that and saying my God Mm -hmm. potentially contextually though, that's really not what he seems to be saying. And, and the, if that was the only thing we had alone, that might be persuasive, but all these other texts lead us to think differently about Christ, to think that he, he in fact is divine. And this is the systematic part of the theology. We're, we're taking all of scripture in its entirety and showing that Christ is divine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's, would you read the Colossians two, nine and then the Hebrews one, three passages back to back? Cause they, they kind of complement each other. Yeah. Okay. It says for in him, the, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then Hebrews, mm-hmm. he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of or by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yeah. 
So both of these together, they, they describe Jesus and they describe him in divine terms, right? So the fullness of deity dwells in his, when he was in the, like the fullness of deity dwelling in Christ. And then Hebrews talking about how Jesus, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In fact, Jesus himself, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Listen, that's not done by anyone that's not divine. This is clearly talking about Jesus as divine. Um, and so you, you kind of get this picture, right? Okay, Jesus talking about his preexistence before Abraham was, I am. You have Thomas's worship of him in John 20, 28. We could have looked at Luke 24, 52 also, where Jesus is worshiped and he receives that worship. And as a Jewish man, he knows that no one's to be worshiped besides God alone. So mm-hmm. if he's receiving that worship and he's not God, then he's himself heretical, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have these passages in Colossians 2 and Hebrews 1, which just describe the radiance of the glory of God that exists, the fullness of deity dwelling in Christ. All of these together, they begin to give us this picture of Jesus and his deity, his divinity. He is, he is divine. Now, one of the clearest statements is actually one of the, um, I guess it can be entertaining to explain, comes from Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Titus, Paul is writing to Titus, a young pastor, and and Paul uses this phrase in verse 13. He says that we're waiting for our blessed hope. He says, this is our blessed hope. This is what we're waiting for. He says, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when you read that, you can separate that. You say, okay, well, we're waiting for the appearing of God. And, And then along with that, separately, we're waiting for the appearance of Jesus Christ. But when you start to dig into the, the language and the original Greek, when you start to look at the words and how the words work together and some of the grammatical rules, mm-hmm. there's actually kind of a famous rule. It's called the Granville Sharp rule. And huh, it's okay. kind of, you get a little technical here, but the way the Granville Sharp rule works is that in the Greek, if you have a substantive, like a noun, and then it's connected to, or you, you have an article so like the, mm-hmm. and then you have the substantive, like a noun, and then you have the word chi, which means and typically, mm-hmm. and then you have another substantive that does not have the article, the, the, right? If, if you have that combination, that construction, then it's it potentially what's called a Granville Sharp rule. And it means that the second substantive or the second noun, it is referring to the same thing as the first one. Okay. And so, I, gosh, this might sound really technical, but, it, this, it does, but yeah. this construction happens, not talking about Jesus, this construction happens 80 times in the New Testament. And in those 80 times, every single one of those times, it, it, it's exactly how it's translated. The, the second noun is referring to the same one. Mm-hmm. And there's a few exclusions, right? So exclusions if it's a plural, there's an exclusion if it's... Um, um, I'm spacing off the top of my head right now, but... Uh, these exclusions, if oh, if it's impersonal or it's a proper na- name, also those are the other exclusions. All this to say, though, all of the times that it's not talking about Jesus, it's translated that way. In in the times when it is talking about Jesus too, then we we have great confidence that it should be translated that way as hmm. well. And so, looking back at, at Titus two thirteen, then you have you have the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and so God and Savior right there are to be connected by that and as the same as the same topic, wow. right? Okay. And so God and Savior, who is Jesus Christ. And okay. so maybe too technical for um, for the time we have today, but <laughs> but but 
<coughs> I think it's worth slowing down and seeing that people have thought really deeply. They've engaged really deeply in the original language, may, way deeper than this. Mm-hmm. And they've come to these conclusions based on the language usage that is employed to describe who Jesus is, specifically as the, the Son of God, God himself, right? Mm-hmm. And so, big picture, you, you have God the Father is God. The scripture testifies to him, he is God. You have God the Son as God. And for our listeners today that, you know, you're not going to pick up Greek and it's not that important to you. What I think you should take away from this is this gives you some confidence when you are dealing with people that would believe differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, For a number of years, I worked at Albertsons. I had an assistant in the produce department and he just absolutely would not believe that Jesus was divine. Mm -hmm. He, he, He... he would not believe it. And we would have conversation after conversation after conversation. But these were the scriptures that we would go to over and over again to say, look, I know you don't believe Jesus is divine, but if you're going to believe that Jesus is not God, then you're not believing the Bible, Mm -hmm. right? And so this is, I guess what we're trying to do is provide people with a little bit of confidence when you do engage with folks, when you're at work or with family members that maybe they're they're of a, a cultish persuasion, uh, such as Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons, right? Like, and they don't look at Jesus the way the Bible actually teaches who he is to be. So, so you kind of touched on, on, on a topic that we may dive into a bit, a little bit deeper, but this is, you're kind of hitting on why this is important, why it's important that we have a correct view of the Trinity and why we should hold to the idea that Christ is divine. And maybe there's a different point that you have, but for me, as I'm hearing you, it's about consistency as well. Because truth is revealed. We don't create truth. The Bible is our truth. And this is what the Bible has revealed over and over and over again. And I think that goes to show that like, as, as um, Christians, as, as Bible-believing Christians, again, these aren't things that we're making up. This is what has been revealed. And so that whole worldview then is about us understanding how God has revealed himself. And if we take away the divinity of Christ, there's a lot of things that kind of start to fall apart. After that, I think there are other reasons why it's important to, to know this, but is, am I kind of hitting what you're going after here, Mike? Or So what you're saying is that we use the word consistency, mm-hmm. and I'm understanding that as consistency according to what the scripture says. We, we, we don't get to pick and choose what we believe. Right. We've got to look at what the text says, and we've, we've got to decide if we believe it or not. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at, because I, I think you and I kind of rub shoulders with a lot of people with, um, I'll say, different worldviews. And it's always interesting to me that um, I believe our worldview is informed by scripture, which is the truth. And then there are people that we that I, I meet that have a worldview that like they'll believe one thing, but then they'll also believe something that's counterintuitive to the other thing. And I believe your beliefs impact the way you live your life. And that's why things start to fall apart over the course of time. So they're not even consistent within their own thought processes as well. Whereas this is like, if you were, um, I'll use the word, Albert Moeller likes to use the word, um, honesty. Yes. Intellectual honesty. Then when we can concede to a point and understand like, okay, you got me there because logically this is how this works. This is what we're using. We're using, this is what the Bible has revealed there. It has revealed some things that you would think are counter, uh, that are contradictory, but it's not. God is trying to reveal that there's something greater than we can understand in this. And we can even, press this further and say what we believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us. Mm-hmm. And if we miss, if we, if we strike out with what we believe about Jesus, that 
that doesn't have just consequences for our intellectual honesty or integrity. That has eternal consequences. And so if we are teaching people that Jesus is just a man, that he is not divine, then are we really believing in the Jesus of the scriptures? And if we're not really believing in the Jesus of the scriptures, do we really have salvation? Mm -hmm. Have we trusted in his death and resurrection or are we trusting in something that is less than that? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's why this is so important is because what Jesus, it's all ends up being about what we believe about Jesus, how we stand in relationship to him. And if we have a lesser small view of Jesus that does not take into account what the Bible actually says about him, can we actually have a full view of the gospel? The answer is no. So there's, there's quite a few implications there. So there is, there's the non-believer that needs to reconcile, that needs to come to terms with what God has revealed of himself. And then the other implication is the believer who believes this. And then if you hear a teacher within your own church or someone else who starts to deny these very profound tenets of, of what Christ has said about himself or what the Bible has revealed, you've got something that you should be alarmed about. You, you, you probably don't belong in the church that, or quote unquote church that you're a part of if that's, if that's what's coming from the pulpit, right? This is, this is, this, this is one of the things that helps define, I guess, the wolves among the sheep. Yeah, it's really important. And so it can be complicated. It Mm -hmm. can get a little confusing. I I know that even now talking about Greek connection words like Kai and articles, and that's not how we usually talk yet. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is we're trying to give confidence that the the Bible can be trusted Mm -hmm. and that what we're teaching is based on that. And what we're teaching is that there is a triune God He is one in essence, Father, Son, and Spirit, three in persons. God the Father is fully God. And then Jesus Christ is God the Son, who is fully God. And then I guess where we'll land, which logically, if we continue, we'd say, well, then also God the Spirit. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is truly God. We've got a handful of passages that we could read here. Do you want to grab one of them? Yeah. Like Hebrews 9.14? This is Hebrews 9.14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Yeah, there's some amazing things happening here. The the focus, at least to begin, is how it describes God's spirit, the eternal spirit. But I want you to notice within this passage, it talks about the blood of Christ, who is the second member of the triune God. Mm-hmm. It talks about the eternal spirit who is the third member of the triune god and then it talks about um christ being offered without blemish to god so that we can serve the living god right which is reference to god the father and so within this brief verse about jesus's sacrifice we have reference to all three members of the triune god but in particular we see it speaks of the spirit himself as eternal, this third member. There's other passages. First Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And so every believer has the spirit of God dwelling in them, living in them. This is part of what keeps us unified and moves us forward on track. Um, and then even First Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. And again, these, these are kind of saying the same thing, but the point here, the point we, we could talk about how you're not your own and the spirit of God dwells in you. Those are great truths. But what we're really trying to aim at is to make this clear statement. God, the spirit is 
God. He's not less than God. Mm -hmm. He's not part God. He's not God 2.0. He is God. God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Spirit is God. One essence, three persons. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we, that I've heard stress about that, especially with the Holy Spirit, is like this is, this is a, this, this is a God who has thoughts and who interacts. It's not like, because some, I, I, if you come from like a science fiction background, some people imagine the Holy Spirit like the force or some cosmic entity. When this is, we're, we're not talking about that at all. This is something that interacts with us, that teaches us, that guides us, that dwells within us. This is God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You talk about passages that talk, say things like, don't grieve the spirit. What mm-hmm. does it mean to grieve the spirit? To, to live outside of the law of God, live outside of God's will for our lives, live outside of the character of Jesus Christ. You talk about passages like being filled with the spirit. Now you're indwelt with the spirit. The spirit always lives you, in you, excuse me, but being filled with the spirit is submitting yourself to the work of the spirit so Mm -hmm. that the spirit can guide your life and your character and your decisions. This is a spirit actively working in our lives. Mm -hmm. And, and so this is again, trying God three in one, one essence, three persons, Sometimes, though, we miss the mark with it. Sometimes we get it a little bit wrong. Sometimes we have a less than accurate view based on what the scripture has taught. And so Mm -hmm. these are some of the, what we would call heretical views of the Trinity. Okay. And that's where we're going to, we're going to talk about how people get it wrong. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, And so a lot of. A lot of the views that we have today that are heretical, they're just repeats of, of heretical views throughout history. Yeah. And so history repeats itself, and unfortunately, heresy repeats itself. And so we've got just a handful of them that I think are worth distinguishing just to help maybe clarify and tighten down our mindset about what we actually believe. And just to be clear, these are heretical views of the Trinity, not just necessarily heretical views of the Holy Spirit, right? Correct. Just, okay, that's where we're transitioning into. Okay. So the first one is monarchianism, right? And this is the belief that only one belief in only one person and that the son and the spirit are part of the divine essence, but are impersonal attributes and not distinct in divine persons. And so this is, there's God, the father, and then he has part of God is the son uh-huh. and just, it's a characteristic of God, almost like the same way that love is a characteristic of God or, okay. or mercy is a characteristic of God, almost like, almost like that. And so the son and the spirit are impersonable or impersonal. They are not, they are not that God, the father who is, or, excuse me, backtrack. They are not shared essence. They're less than that. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, and then the next one, you want to read that one? Yeah, it's tritheism. The belief that God is not one in essence. It argues that there are three divine essences, three individual gods, not God in three persons. Okay, so what do you hear when you read that? There are three gods. Yeah. Tritheism. Yeah. yeah. So that it's, it's the part that, like, that accepts the idea that, yep, Jesus is God. Well, I guess it would a God. The Holy Spirit is a God. God the Father is a God, which is not at all what the Bible teaches. There is only one God. In the, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Another one is modalism. And this is a belief that God is one in essence and one in person. And so this talks about the Father, Son, and Spirit are not three eternally distinct personal relations, but are three different ways that God reveals himself. And so today God shows up as a father. Tomorrow God shows up as a son. The next day he shows up as a spirit. It's not three persons. It's uh, it's one, yeah. one person. This is what, so I remember when I was young in Sunday school and we learned about the Trinity, 
the Sunday school teacher was trying to explain it to me as in like, you know, water can take the form of a vapor, the form of ice and the form of a liquid. And, and then it's the same thing, but it's three, three different versions of that. And when I got to Bible college, we learned that that's modalism and that's wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is probably the most frequently encountered heretical view of the Trinity because it kind of almost sounds like it makes sense in, or it, it Actually, I think it can make sense in our mind more than there being one essence in three persons. And so I think, especially if you've never been, you know, I guess, educated or trained or mm-hmm. you've never wrestled with these ideas, that, that idea could almost naturally kind of fall out. And it's like, oh, yeah, this, yeah. you know. And so I've, I've encountered a number of times over the years, even with people of, you know, pedigree, you know, like, and say, no, let's, let's rethink the way we're talking about yeah. this a little yeah. bit, you know? Yeah. And on all those things, I think there are just people who are trying really hard to help other people understand. I, I've also, I've heard the illustration of the egg, right? There's like one egg, but there's like the yolk, the shell and the white part of the egg or whatever. Is that the yolk? I don't know. Anyway, but, and they're like, oh, but it's all the one egg being. egg white? The egg white. Is that what the, okay. Yeah. There we go. I just eat eggs, man. <laughs> but all those to say is like, this goes back to what we talked about last week is that like for every time that we try to explain the Trinity, we can't because like you said, we're using something created to explain something that has never been created. That always has been. Yeah. Every illustration is always going to fall short. That's right. Yep. Um, next one, there's kind of two together, but, but Arianism. And so this believes that the son is the first and greatest creation of God, the father. He's not himself, the eternal creator, God. So the son and the father are not of the same essence for the son is ultimately a creature. Um, he is to be exalted. He's the greatest of creatures, but he is still a creature. And so this is Arianism. This is a heretical view that, what does it do? It lessens Jesus's identity. He is not divine. Mm -hmm. And the last one is is related. It's semi-Arianism. You want to explain that one? Uh, Semi-Arianism, it says, affirms that that the son is more than a mere creature, but says he is less than God the Father. Instead of being of the same essence with the Father, the son is a similar essence of the Father, this belief sees Jesus as divine, but with a lesser authority, power, and wisdom than the Father. Yeah, so he is a little God is kind of the idea yeah. here. He's, he's of a different essence than the Father, and he's divine, but he's not the same as the Father, and mm-hmm. so or not the same in essence as the Father. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny, even, even as we explain these, like it's really easy to misspeak. And to say something that's slightly heretical as you're trying to kind of walk the line here. Um, But the point is, in in all of this, these are heretical views. And maybe we've believed these or maybe we've taught these in the past or maybe we've leaned into believing this a little bit. And and if that's you, this is not to, okay, let's go throw tomatoes at you and yell at you, Mm -hmm. heretic. It's, It's actually, let's, let's calibrate what we believe according to the scripture let's make sure that we're being nuanced where we need to let's make sure we're being accurate and Mm -hmm. and and tighten down what we actually believe according to what the scripture says that's the goal of this i appreciate what you're saying because i remember learning deeper uh learning the trinity deeper in bible college and then being frustrated i'm like i can't ever explain this there's just so it just feels like every time i take a step i'm i'm taking a wrong step in this and in in that whole experience one of my professors told me like at this moment in time Andrew, it's not about you understanding this because you're you're not going to but really and I, i know we said this last week and we say this all the time but really it just makes me in awe of who god is because he truly is so incomprehensible 
at this at this moment. And I, I know there are people out there like, well, that's not a good enough answer for me. But yeah, at the same time, it's pretty consistent throughout script. Like this is what scripture reveals. And I am a hundred percent okay after wrestling with it for years. Like this this is my God. This is this God who reveals himself and I am okay with the fact that I can't grasp him because he's all powerful. Yeah. And whenever we talk about God, I always come back to these two great handles. One is the word transcendent mm-hmm. and the other is the word imminent, right? Like, so transcendent is he is, you, you talked about him being incomprehensible. He is beyond, he is the uncreated creator. He is grander and greater than we can ever fully comprehend. Right. And yet he's near, he's not just beyond and far mm-hmm. and distant. He's come near, he's come in the flesh. We know him. His spirit dwells in us. We can comprehend him as far as he's allowed us to, right? right? As far as he's revealed himself. And so this is why your response of awe is the perfect response. Because when we respond in awe, we're saying, I get that God is beyond me. And I'm amazed that he would would allow me to draw near to him. And he would come near to me. And Mm -hmm. he would save me from my sin through the work of his son, through his death and resurrection. That is... That is the beauty of the gospel, and it's the beauty of God and mm-hmm. the triune God. Yeah, I, Mike. I know we're, we're, this is related to the topic, but I guess I, I was going to say this. And I want to see what you, th- what, 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 maybe what comments you may have on this, because I know some people listening to this may be listening because they're like, "Oh man, I have a coworker that I'm trying to argue with about the Trinity. I want to prove this." And I, I guess what I would want to land at is that at, the, at some point in time, it's not about you proving, because God just is. And maybe the attitude of, of like, I, I think you should be studied and you should be able to show people like where scripture is. But like, I don't think it's about crushing someone with knowledge. At some point in time, you just got to pray that God reveals them, himself to this person in that. And I, I, I don't know. I guess I'm speaking to the person who's listening to this right now, to the systematic theology, and is just looking for the silver bullet to win an argument. Well, what, what, I guess, what are your thoughts on, on a situation like that? Yeah. So I think your advice to pray is really wise. I think, you know, We've gone back to, to John one fourteen. We we have uh, and the Word became flesh, and we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son or begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. So I would encourage that person to be praying and also to be to be living after Christ with grace and truth. And so pursuing that person relationally, looking for ways to serve them, looking for ways to care for them, praying with them, like doing whatever it can to, you can to extend love toward them, but also be full of truth. And so really beyond winning an argument about the Trinity, I would encourage them to draw their attention to Christ. Mm -hmm. And so to say, hey, can we sit down and read the gospel of John together and just talk about how the the gospel writer presents Jesus and what the Bible says about who Jesus is, that would be my advice to them is look for ways to continue to build a relationship mm-hmm. and to have intentional spiritual conversation, specifically reading something like the gospel of John together mm-hmm. and and then trusting God's spirit will do what only God's spirit do can, can do. It will change this person's heart in the right time. That's awesome. Mike, thank you, thank you for sharing that. And when you say that kind of stuff, it makes me... It, it, it convicts my own heart because I remember the days when I was in Bible college that like I just wanted to learn systematic theology just so that I could you know argue with people. But what I've learned is that as I've learned more about what the Bible says about itself and we systematize things, it actually just builds confidence in me that I, I guess it just builds confidence, I guess, in like this is this is my God. And this is why we do the things that we do. And I, I don't question a lot of things because I've already questioned it and I've worked through it. And I'm, I'm hoping that this series that we're going through is just helping people build confidence within the faith that they're growing in. Yeah. So going a little bit deeper, thinking a little bit more deeply about these things, it has long-term benefit 
And hopefully they'll listen to this and it will lead them to go and, you know, go to Amazon or whatever store and, and buy a, a, a systematic theology. And just, you know, you read a page of that a day, right? It will take you a while, but little by little, you, you increase your awareness. Yeah. And actually, I'll plug a book I'm reading with my youngest right now. It's called, it's called Theology, actually. Okay. But they, they put a space between the E and the O. So it's called The, the. Ology. Okay. It's a kid's book, and it's a systematic theology kid's book that is story-based, and it's just got a bunch of um, chapters, great, great little lessons, one or two pages each with uh, decent drawing, and it's pretty fun to read. So, uh, you know, maybe even start there. That's awesome. I, you know, you, you mentioned that book. I think maybe someday in the future we should talk, maybe talk about uh, a book that people could buy to work through for themselves, because I was... I just think about it. You, you tease me sometimes because I had a book on my shelf at one point in time, and you're like, you should get a better one, which I do. I have multiple ones. But anyway, a- among circles, there are better books than others is what I guess. Anyway, Mike, thank you for this conversation. It kind of feels like we're, we're winding down here. Um, unless you have anything else you want to share, uh, do you, you want to pray for our listeners? Let's do it. Okay. Lord, we are in awe of who you are. We thank you that you are Father, Son, and Spirit. We thank you that you have saved us through Jesus and his death and resurrection. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself, even in your transcendence, even in the, the reality that you're beyond our, our perfect comprehension. And yet you've given us um, clear pictures of who you are in the scripture. We thank you that you are father and that the father is God. We thank you that you are son. And as the son, you are God. And we thank you that you are the spirit. And as a spirit, you are God. And Lord, we just want to marvel in awe more and more. Lord, help us to understand you more. Help us to worship you more. Help us to love you because of the love you've shown us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ancient Ways for Modern Days, a ministry of Valley Christian Fellowship. If you'd like to check out more resources or even connect with us, go to vcflongview.org.